I want to thank you all for your prayers in the last um, four months that had been grounded in Nigeria. Uh, you may remember that I left the U.S. on the 11th of March. I went down for my mother's burial. And luckily, we were able to do all the burial ceremonies. But soon after that, the airports all grounded and I couldn't go anywhere. So I had been stuck in Nigeria now for four months. Uh, fortunately, I was able to teach my classes online and that helped a lot. And as God would have it, I was able to return two weeks ago through a private arrangement by the American Embassy. So the American Embassy in Nigeria made some plans and sent out emails and I felt, I guess this was the time. Um, so it's a good thing to be back home and I'm happy to be back before school begins uh, in about two or three weeks. I'm grateful for all your prayers. I'm grateful for all your care and concern while I was down there in Nigeria. One of the things about the Bible is that the Bible is not another book of literature. The Bible transcends literature and for so many reasons. Because number one, unlike most literary works, the Bible, we believe, is inspired. The Bible is holy. And the Bible is inerrant. Unlike most works of literature, the Bible evokes everything about allegory, literary senses, analogy, moral sense, and think anything at all you want to think about. And so the Bible is not exactly a work of literature. But that said, because the Bible also employs narratives, sometimes poetry, and sometimes prose discourse, it's also possible for us to use basic literary techniques and criticism to read and interpret the Bible. And so that's why tonight, it is possible for us to do basic characterization. In literature, when you do characterization, you are basically narrowing down into the story and you're trying to isolate the characters. And you can do direct characterization or indirect characterization. When you do direct characterization, you are looking at the physical description in the story. But when you are doing indirect characterization, you are basically doing psychoanalysis. You're trying to enter the mind of the characters, get into the mind of Peter, get into the mind of the disciples and try to figure out why they were terrified and why they were afraid. So permit us tonight, let's do a very brief characterization of our gospel story tonight. And I'd like to isolate three characters. The storm, 
Peter, and finally the person of Jesus. The storm is a character in itself, in the sense that the storm interacts with the people in the story. But the storm is symbolic of something. The storm in the gospel story is symbolic of the chaos that sometimes we experience in life. The storm is symbolic of turbulence, uncertainties that we often experience in life. And this storm, as it is put in the story tonight, can be macro or micro. And what do I mean by that? Remember that the boat is symbolic of the church. Peter and the disciples are all in that boat, and now they are facing the storm. On a big level, this storm is symbolic of the tensions that can happen in the church, even in our generation. The storm represents all of the ups and downs, the struggles, sometimes the disappointments that we may even experience as a church and as the body of Christ. That is the macro level of this storm. But the storm could also be at a micro level to, be, to represent your struggle and my struggle in our daily lives. The anxieties and the uncertainties that sometimes we experience in our lives. It is part of life that crisis, stress, uncertainty, these are the things that often mark our lives as children of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's how we handle that crisis that becomes really important. For some people, the storm could be simple phobia, fear, fear of, of nothing, or even fear of something. When I was growing up as a kid in Africa, one thing I feared a lot was heights. I was so scared of heights. I had my friends, little kids, who could scale any tree at all. And I always envied them. And so each time we went out as little kids, I was usually the one standing on the ground holding all the fruits that they throw down from the tree because I was so scared to climb a tree. Now fast forward 30 years later, I had to travel out, I had to travel overseas, my first flight ever. I'd never flown in a craft before. For weeks, I had sleepless nights. I dreaded that first day I was to fly in a plane. But the day eventually came. I couldn't sleep through that night. And I kept wondering and thinking about the worst case scenario. What would happen if this happened? 
What would happen if that happened? Well, it's been 20 years now, and I've flown uncountable times. Of course, 20 years ago, I couldn't actually articulate what I was feeling when I got into the plane for the first time. But today, I have a theory to describe what I was feeling, what some people call turbulence theory. The turbulence theory is that once you have taken off, you are 20,000 feet up above, you have no control over nothing. All you need to do is to trust that the pilot knows exactly what he's doing, that the aircraft is in good condition, that the forecast was correct. Other than that, there's nothing else you can do. If you worry, it doesn't change anything. If you don't worry, it doesn't change anything. And so why worry? The turbulence theory is that sense of surrendering to things that are beyond your control. And so yes, the storm can be a reality. Fear can be a reality. Anxiety can be a reality. But the question tonight is this. How do we handle uncertainties? In the story tonight, Peter remains a model. Although he's a flawed model, but he's a good model. And why do I say that? You see, Peter is like every one of us. We want evidence. We want a sign. We want something dramatic to convince us that God is in control in your life. And so like Peter, when they were now facing the storm, an existential threat, and Peter sees Jesus walking towards them on the water, Peter says, if it is you, Lord, ask me to just come to you right there on the water. And Jesus says, come. Come. And Peter began to walk on water. But like the rest of us, and like all of us, he's a mixture of faith and doubt. For all of us as children of God, just like Peter, once in a while there is fear lurking somewhere in our heart. Yes, I believe God is going to take care of me, but why has he not done it now? I come to church every Sunday. I love God. I do everything. And why has he allowed this now? And why? And why? And why? It's normal. It's normal to have that doubt once in a while. But you know the beautiful thing about Peter? He knew exactly when to cry out. Peter knew when the game was up. Peter knew when it was time not to trust on his human strength or his human skill. He knew exactly when to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. And that's precisely one thing I want us to learn from Peter tonight. To say, Lord, take control. Lord, I know I am frightened at this moment. 
but please take control. And finally, the last character that I want us to look at is the person of Jesus. That is the hero of this story. One thing Jesus has taught us in the story tonight is that he has perfect control over all the chaos in our lives. He has them under his feet. All of the anxiety, the fear, God has power over the fears of our lives. And that's precisely what he wanted the apostles to take out of the story tonight. Jesus did not walk on water because he wanted to show off. He walked on water to assure you and assure me that he, Jesus, is in perfect control of your life and of my life. But you know what? God's hand in your life does not always have to be dramatic. And that's what Elijah learned in the first reading. Sometimes God can come to you in the whispering sound, in the gentleness of your life, in the quietness of your life. So let's summarize. What are, what's our takeaway tonight? It is this. When everything around us seems to be chaotic, when there's so much anxiety all around us, when there's so much uncertainties all around us, you have a constant in your life. We all have a constant in our lives. And it is this, that God is in control, that God loves you, he will keep you, he will protect you, and he will guide you all the days of our lives. May we now bow our heads and pray. Take my heart, O Lord. Take my hopes and dreams. Take my mind with all its plans and schemes. Give me nothing more than your love and grace. These alone, oh,